0: So last Sunday we started a series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I really had one thing to say last week, which I think you got. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is not something; He's someone, and even when He's when He's compared to wind or water or oil or a dove or whatever, He takes a temporary form, uh, as a dove, or we see flames of fire, which is again a temporary manifestation of His presence. He Himself is Spirit. And eternal God. So the Holy Spirit appears on the first page of the Bible and at the beginning of time. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So as well as God the Father being creator, and God the Son, Jesus being creator, which we understand from John chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was also creator. And that is wrapped up in, in the beginning God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. But then, interestingly, the first person of the Trinity who's mentioned by name straight afterwards, straight afterwards is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was moving on the face of the waters. Let's think about the Holy Spirit in moving with people, helping people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for particular purposes. He empowered and inspired people like prophets, who weren't prophesying 24 hours a day, so it was when the Holy Spirit came upon them. they prophesy. Judges, craftsmen, leaders, overseers, kings, psalmists, His coming upon them in that way, however, didn't always produce in them godly character. Some were notoriously indisciplined and unholy, like Samson and Saul and Solomon. And even the best men and women in the old covenant days were not without faults and sins. Abraham, Moses, David. But when we come to the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit very much at work around the conception and birth of Jesus. Luke tells us almost every person who encountered, whether it was a, the, 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 Jesus, the, the, the child in the womb, let alone the, the child who'd been born, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they prophesied again and again. One after another people were prophesying over Jesus even while he was still in the womb of Mary. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And when Mary visited his cousin, her cousin Elizabeth who was pregnant then with John the child, John, with, leapt within her, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. By the way, all of that thing about babies in wombs there causes me a, a great, a great concern about the issue of abortion, doesn't it? You? Yes. If children were filled with the Holy Spirit and leapt, recognizing the Messiah while still in the mother's womb, what does that say about abortion, people? So the Holy Spirit was present and at work from the very beginning. He didn't suddenly appear at bed. oh look what, who's that? Oh, isn't Who's he? He didn't suddenly appear at Pentecost. But the work of the Holy Spirit has changed since the coming of Jesus. He is sent and given to us. The difference is this. Contained in the prophecy of Joel, which Peter declared and applied on the day of Pentecost. Here it is from Joel. It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. That's literally all flesh. All humanity. Every human being. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants I'll pour on my spirit in those days. This new deal, which is the new covenant, is that the spirit is now poured out on all humanity. Sons and daughters, old and young, workers, the word is even slaves, not just masters, leaders, prophets and psalmists. Everyone of every walk of life, is included. So the help of the Holy Spirit now in the New Covenant is no more just particular people, particular times, particular purposes. The Holy Spirit is now available to every believer. Every single Christian. That is why I see a cult of, 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 of uh, anointed ministries that causes me a lot of consternation. It sets apart some as being super spiritual, like like they're the holy ones. But the Holy Spirit is actually available under the new covenant to every believer. By the way, we'll come back to anointing further in a few weeks' time. So it's the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself I want to look at and concentrate on this morning. Because I believe that Jesus teaches us the very core of what we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. There are other things after that, but this is primary, this is foundational. There's no mention of speaking in tongues or prophesying, or we're going to look at this morning. Don't, don't go run around and say, David Evans doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. You might have heard me earlier today. All right? But that is secondary, not primary. Here's what Jesus says is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're starting in John chapter 3. We're going to go through some bits of John. The first thing is we are born again by the Spirit. A deeply religious man called Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, the council of Jerusalem, went to Jesus at night to have a secret discussion with him. And uh, Jesus said to this man, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, he was aghast at the thought, right? How can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? It's a horrifying thought. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of humanity is merely human. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So poor Nicodemus is having like a horror movie going on in his head. So Jesus amplifies his statement. He's not speaking of second natural birth. And by the way, natural birth is out of a womb full of water. I don't take that scripture as referring to baptism. I think that's reading something into scripture. When we're born naturally, we're born out of water. But to be born spiritually, to be born again, you've got to be born out of the Spirit. He gives you new life. The Holy Spirit brings the grace of God to us and causes us to be reborn to a life of faith towards God. Only those who are born again, born of God, born of the Spirit, will enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that work of the Holy Spirit is controlled by no one. The Holy Spirit brings this saving grace wherever he chooses, though, of course, it is, he's in holy harmony with the Father and with the Son in doing so. They are agreed about who are their chosen, but he brings it where you can't describe, and he brings it when you're not expecting it, and he brings it to people you never thought of. Here it is again a few chapters earlier in John chapter 1. There was the true light which coming to the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. I think this is particularly speaking of the Jewish people. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, that's power, that's authority, to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. I haven't finished yet. Who were born? Not. Of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, sometimes gospel preachers overstep the mark and they tell people, you're born again now. Well, you know, you didn't, you creature, you can't do that. You can't give new birth to anybody. The preacher can tell you you need to have faith, can command you to repent, relay God's message of love to you. But the preacher cannot actually give you faith and rebirth. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. By the will of God. You don't decide to be born again. The Holy Spirit gives you new birth. New birth is not the reward for your faith and obedience. You begin to have faith and repent because you have been born again. You've been changed, you've been renewed, you've been transformed. That's why you begin to think differently. Because you've been born of God. All right, I haven't got time to preach on that whole morning. Let's go on to the next one. Going through how Jesus teaches it through the gospel. We worship God by the Spirit. Very different person. Jesus encounters a woman who's a woman of of some uh, uh, immorality. She's had five husbands. She's now living with a man who isn't her husband. He's a woman of Samaria, which is the bit of, of the middle between Galilee and Jerusalem, where the Jews don't like the Samaritans, the Samaritans don't like the Jews. And Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman by a well at noonday when it's hot. And she goes there at that time of the day so she doesn't encounter any other women. right? And Jesus points out to her, because he, he knows it through the Spirit that she's had five husbands and the man she's now living with is her husband. So she replies, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But you people, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What's she doing? She's deflecting the conversation. Oh, that's a bit close to home. Let's talk about religion. Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. She tried to have a debate about, is Jerusalem Samaria to be the center of religious worship? And Jesus said, God is spirit. He doesn't need a place. He doesn't need one city. He seeks in every place and in every people those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I've given the word spirit, they're a capital S because I believe those words spirit relate to the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told that one of the hallmarks of the children of God is this. They worship God by the Holy Spirit. Here's Philippians 3. We are the true circumcision. We're the true Jews, the true Israel, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, that's Messiah Jesus, and put no confidence in, in the flesh, in being merely human. Even worshipping, we worship by the Spirit. Now, earlier on, some of us were entering in through the Spirit into worshipping by the Spirit this morning. Worship is no longer a matter of this place or that place, this day or that day, this way or that way. Worship is more than prayers and songs, it's a whole Godward way of life. And there are only two elements not style of song, maijiki, minor key. Minor key. Speaking in tongues, speaking, speaking in English. There are only two things that, valid, that, valid, that validate true worship. One, it's done by the Spirit. Number two, it's true. Amen. It's according to His truth. That's not just it's sincere. No, you can have a sincere wrong heart. This is it's according to truth. We must worship God according to His truth and by Spirit, and we can do that at any time, in any place. And all ca- all nations are called to know and worship this God through His Spirit and His truth. Now to press on a bit with being born again. How many of you ever said, "I'm only human"? It's only natural, isn't it? there's a song by a guy in the church really, I'm only human after all. That one, yeah? The answer to this if you're a Christian is no. You're not. You're not. You're not merely human. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is And Jesus goes on to say this in John 6 it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, human nature, profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are Spirit and are life. The Spirit gives life. He takes us beyond what is flesh, merely human. It's only normal, it's only natural. Having received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we become something else. What the Bible calls spiritual. Those who have the Spirit. As Christians, we mistakenly use the word spiritual to mean mature. In other words, it's like it's like character progress. That's not the way the Bible uses the word. And the world uses the word spiritual. We'll cover all sorts of things. Um ding, you know, all kinds of stuff. Let me show you how the Bible uses the word spiritual. It's in, the Gre- in the New Testament, it's the Greek word "pneumaticos." It literally means of the Spirit. Amen. It's not your Spirit. It's Him. Yeah. You are of the Spirit. The Spirit is with you, upon you, in you. You're a spiritual person simply because you have the Spirit. Your character might still need some sorting out, but you're spiritual. All right? Because you have the Spirit. Please, God, in a few weeks' time when I get to preach it, the Spirit has you. You're being led by Him and controlled by Him. Therefore, Jesus says the flesh profits nothing. Whatever the world calls spiritual is still flesh. It's just humanity being human. Many times in the New Testament where the word spirit appears, people have assumed it refers to your spirit, to our spirit. And sadly, one of the writers of the last century, Watchman Lee, particularly kind of pushed that one about the human spirit. He's a lovely guy, a lovely Christian, a Chinese Christian, wonderful leader in many ways, but he was wrong on that issue. Most of the references to spirit in the New Testament are to the Holy Spirit. By the way, there's one exception to that word meaning the Holy Spirit. That's in Ephesians 6 where it talks about spiritual forces of wickedness. It's the only exception... That's when it's talking about demons. Everywhere else in the New Testament where you find the word spiritual, it's talking about the Holy Spirit's work in you and with you. That which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. It has a new nature. We once were dead towards God, but now we're alive to Him and in Him by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who gives life. So we don't live by the limitations of our own natural fleshly resources. We live by the infinite resources of the Holy Spirit, available to us whenever we want to say a prayer and believingly ask for him. He's the spirit of life. It's by the words of God that the Holy Spirit conveys life to us. The words that I speak to you, said Jesus, they are spirit and they are life. It's how the Holy Spirit communicates life to us is by God's words. It's by hearing that we believe. Man, sorry, I already did that. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus said that, Matthew 4 is quoting Deuteronomy 8. So if the Spirit gives us life through the words of God, guess what we need to be doing, folks? Plugging into the words of God. It's not for nothing that some daily Bible reading there used to be called daily bread. Because as much as I am looking forward to eating some food later on today, I need to receive God's words. I need to hear Him. Because it's through His word that the Spirit gives us life. Now, of course, there's a beginning to life, new birth. Wonderful, being converted, becoming a Christian. But this life is a continuing life. I've explained to you any number of times now, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith, It's not just saying this is how you become a Christian, it describes how we continue to live as Christians, by faith, by faith, by faith. And that faith is fed and nourished by the Holy Spirit speaking to me words from God. So I need to give attention to the scriptures, whether you read them or you listen to them. You need the input just as much as you need the food on that plate. Just as much. Man will not live by bread alone. Or steak and chips. Nice work if you can get it. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and it talks about proceeds, not because it's a new word, it's never been said before, but the Holy Spirit will draw it and apply it and and push it into your thinking until you think, oh, I, I, I get that. Oh, yeah, God's spoken to me, right? We are spiritual. We are alive through the Holy Spirit. Moving on, we are given the Spirit. In Jerusalem, in one of the great feasts, Jesus interrupted the ritual when they're pouring out a big jug of water in the temple. Jesus rudely interrupted that and shouted out in the temple How loud can I shout? Oh, let's not try. (laughs) If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? He's just interrupted the whole religious who do that, The priests, you know, and everybody. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now notice John's comment. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We need to come back again to consider the promise and gift of the Holy Spirit when we talk about receiving the Spirit probably next week. But let me say something here, to, here today. Certainly, before ever we want to go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 and think about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, we need to understand the gift of the Spirit. Him, Himself. He is given to us according to the promise of the Father by God the Father and God the Son. Notice the timing here. The Holy Spirit wasn't going to be given until Jesus had been glorified. Now, that's a lot of shorthand there, John. Thank you. Because Jesus being glorified means he's going to be rejected, wrongly accused, and condemned, flogged, brutalized, crucified. His dead body's going to be taken from the cross and lie in a tomb until the third day. Then he'll be raised to life and sent to the Father, and then he's glorified. So, Jesus has got to go through a whole lot of things before the Spirit is going to be given. But when all that has happened, the Holy Spirit will be sent and given by God the Father and God the Son to those who believe in Jesus. Secondly, notice the word given. The Holy Spirit is given to us. We do not earn Him, fight for Him, strive for Him. Do you think that there's some price to be paid before you can know the presence and the authority of the Holy Spirit? Who on earth gave you that idea? Listen to what Jesus said in Luke. If you then, being evil, thank you Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Thirdly, notice that those who believe in Jesus are to receive the Holy Spirit. Not some, all. He's not given to some, but to all. He's given and we must receive Him. Now we'll come back to that when we talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. We're going to come to the biggest chunk of Jesus' teaching. So I'm going to read it and then summarize it. From John chapter 14 to John chapter 17, Jesus has three conversations with the disciples and then he prays for them. And in each of those chapters, there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. This is is core teaching by the Lord Jesus himself about the Holy Spirit, who he was going to send in his place because he was going to the Father. And I've headlined this, we are led and taught by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit here a new name. Greek is parakletos. And uh, it's translated differently as strengthener, helper, advocate, counsellor. The King James Version has comforter. But a comforter is what a kid does who, with a blanket or a toy, isn't it? They have their little comforter nowadays or something like that. Well, maybe that's old-fashioned language too. But anyway, it's time, sometimes we have to update our language, you know, even if you like the King James. The new the American Version I use uh, has helper, but I like counsellor. I think that's better. Because very often the Holy Spirit doesn't do things without us he helps us to do them. Yeah? So he's more of a counsellor, an empowerer, than he is a doer. It's your, it's your hands that will do it. It's your mouth that will prophesy. But he will counsel you, help you. He's a helper. So starting John 14. I'll try and read these through and then I'll summarize it for you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, counsellor, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Further down, chapter 14. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Chapter 15. When? the helper, the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Interesting, Jesus said the Father was going to send him, didn't he? Yes, both are true. That is the spirit of truth that proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me. John 60. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I... You imagine the disciples go, Jesus, is going away. <gasps> what are we going to do? It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take of mine and will disclose it, reveal it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it. Now, rather than preach through all of that, can I summarize it like a list? The Holy Spirit is given to us by the Father and by the Lord Jesus to be with us. Because Jesus physically is in heaven. And so when we say, like we said this morning, Jesus is with us, yes, he is by the Spirit. The Spirit is taking the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and communicating him to us. The world does not and cannot recognize him, know him. What's going on here? Well, is pretty weird, this. But they don't get it. Unless the Holy Spirit's doing something which we'll talk about in a moment. But of their own human nature, unbelieving people do not understand and recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. Three times across these chapters, Jesus calls him the spirit of truth, who will teach us all things, who will remind us of Jesus' words. And therefore, to remind you again, that's why we need to read or hear his words. But then Jesus introduces this. He testifies to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He takes what is in Jesus and belongs to Jesus and discloses it and reveals it to us. He brings us his presence. And as he does that, he convicts the world in relation to Jesus. You see, the, the moment somebody says, I think, well, what's going on here? I, I, I feel so. It's because they are being encountering something of the nature of Christ being revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. And they go, that's, that's, I, I can't, this is like good and holy and, and, and loving. and Whoa, what is it? Amen. It's the presence of God communicated by the Holy Spirit. Then you begin to get some conviction. Yes. You begin to say, what am I like then? Then in a present tense, he'll speak to us what he hears, what the Father wants us to hear that day. The word that proceeds out of the mouth of God will come by the mouth of the Holy Spirit into your heart, into your mind. Just as Jesus himself spoke what he heard from the Father and did whatever the Father showed him, the Holy Spirit will bring you whatever is in the heart of God for you that day. And he will disclose to us what is to come. That doesn't mean you can, you can know now the date upon which Jesus is going to return. But the Holy Spirit may now warn you prepare you for what you're going to be doing later on today, a conversation you're going to have. He may may give you a little inkling about what's going to happen before you get to work tomorrow. So when you get there, you can be prepared. The Holy Spirit will show you things that are still in your future. Because he's all wise. He's the omnipotent, omniscient God. And when you need help, he'll give you help ahead of time. So you don't walk in blind and deaf. You walk in equipped. He'll show us what is to come. He'll prepare us for persecution that's coming. But do not claim the Holy Spirit showed you when Jesus came in, because Jesus said, of that day and that hour, no one knows that time. Amen. All right? I'll let that one go. So is that a fair summary of what Jesus told us in those chapters? Yes. Just for the sake of time. Now let me give those, those in a different order, as we generally experience them. The Holy Spirit as he works in us the first thing that happens is somehow we encounter Jesus. We get to know something about him. We're in a meeting where we sense his presence and, and we're like, what is going on here? Because as we're encountering God in Christ, it reveals where we are at. We are, we are measured against him and, and we, we, feel, we feel dreadful. I've, I've seen people rush out of a meeting before now. It's all too much for them. Yeah? Seriously. So there's that sense of, I I know I'm not what I should be. And I don't usually go around beating myself up, but today I I just feel so, what is going on here? Because you're you're encountering Jesus. And through that, there is a moment in time in which the Holy Spirit gives you new birth. And you only realize it because it's happened, you know. Babies are born, and even when they're smacked on the bottom, I don't know if they still do it nowadays, and they start to, they start to breathe. And no, they don't. They chewed chew the up. Yeah, I was there. I was there for the birth of my four children. Um, I'm, what, what does a baby remember of that? Oh, love. They, 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 you know, Knowledge and everything comes later. You may not know the moment upon which you were born of God, but you know when things started to change. And maybe they then accelerated and changed more and more over over some time. Having become children of God, sorry, when we come to faith, we're born of the Spirit, born from above, born of God, born again. Those are three ways to say the same thing. And from that moment, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. From that moment. And he won't leave you. Though you may at times not sense his presence. Partly because we have to cooperate with Him. Mm-hmm. We have to listen and cooperate. And days when we want to go, no, I'm not having that, I'm not having that. <laughs> he just stays quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Until you want to listen. Yeah. Amen. Which will usually be because you find yourself in some trouble. Yeah. Am I describing human life? Yes. Having become children of God, we worship God by the Spirit. And according to his truth. The cancer is given to us to be with us at all times. Not just Sunday meetings. All times. All places. All God's children. The spirit gives us life. The flesh profits us nothing. Don't think you can achieve something in mere human nature. Even if it's I don't know, making something, crafting something. Hey, listen, I'm doing DIY sometimes and I think, oh Lord, please help me out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to make a real, you know, pig's ear of (laughs) this one. So, he's the spirit of truth and he will teach us all things and he will remind us of Jesus' words. He's the spirit of truth. Now, let me just give you a pointer to this word anointing. There are two words in the Greek in the New Testament for anointing. One refers to the Holy Spirit, the other one doesn't. When people are anointed with oil for prayer, it's a different word. This word that is anointing that connects to the Holy Spirit only appears, only appears in John's letter, first letter. Look what he writes. You have, it's called charisma, the word, C H R I S -S 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 M A. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know, further down. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him, from Jesus, abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as the anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as has taught you, you abide in him. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all the truth. John says, you don't need someone to become your master and guru. Right? Right? So his word is like scripture. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. That's the only place in the New Testament where the word is used, anointing, connected to the Holy Spirit. And it's according to what Jesus taught us. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus, to remind us of Jesus' words. He's our teacher. I'm really anointed. Yeah, you're anointed to learn the truth. Every one of us. That's what John is saying. We'll come back to understanding the anointing, which is a bit of a cheeky title for it. Another time. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is he glorifies Jesus, discloses, reveals him to us, and he'll speak to us what he hears and will disclose to us what is to come. So, put it, my way, simple, simple way. The Holy Spirit is to bring us is bring Jesus to us. I nearly said it the wrong way around. Because the way Jesus says it, he brings me to you. <laughs> yes? And so we come to him. I, I think I'll come to Jesus now. Not unless the Holy Spirit brings him to you, you won't. Know. And then, having brought Jesus to you, he builds Jesus in you. You learn to live like him. And we learn over time, not in one day, to become more like him. The Holy Spirit does produce character. And he does these things that we've looked at just now, whether you speak in tongues or not, because these are true for every Christian. Every Christian. It is the core of the Bible truth about the Holy Spirit. Those from the Father calls to be his children through Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings in, And brings up. You say that's a bit like a parent. Yes, of course it is. God is a parent. The Holy Spirit brings you in and he brings you up. How many of you know raising children is a real doddle? The Holy Spirit is hard at work. In fact, all in one place talks about him striving mightily within us and, and, even, and even, even yearning over us, so that Christ is formed in us. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. In fact, this working of the character of Jesus in us, in Ephesians Galatians, is called the fruit of the Spirit, because he's producing it. It's not the fruit of your spirit. We don't even want to talk about our spirit. It's not really up to much. It's the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we become more like Jesus. So when you read in Ephesians, Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is, it's the Holy Spirit who produces them. This process of being, pursuing, his being pursued, is pursued because he presents truth to us. He presents uh, truth to us about Jesus. And we must cooperate with what he tells us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Jesus said this, if you continue my word, then you're truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Changed by truth. You think, David, you're so passionate about truth. Yeah, because error doesn't do you one scrap of good. One of the things I prayed this week was, Lord, help me to preach the truth and help me not to push it to the extent that I myself begin to say things which are error. Help me to keep it in truth. And then he prayed in John 17 to the Father. Sanctify them. Through in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed that you would be raised in character, to maturity, made holy as a Christian. He prayed for that. But there's a mechanism by which it will happen. His word, the truth. All this and more is the work of God the Holy Spirit, for the glory of Jesus, God the Son, for the pleasure of God the Father. And before we consider other works of the Holy Spirit, including speaking in tongues and prophecy and healings and miracles, which we'll come to, we need to be really clear about this, that Jesus here sets out the top priorities of the work of the Holy Spirit for every Christian, all who believe. And there's no point in our pursuing the supranatural, I prefer that to supernatural, it means above nature, of the Holy Spirit, without these foundations being laid in us first. In fact, that's the very problem that happened to the church at Corinth. They got very much into the power and works of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders, let's say, and tongues and interpretation and prophecy, but they were deeply lacking in Christian character. Their foundations weren't solid. And Paul writes them and says, right in the middle of talking about the gifts of the Spirit and then working that in practical ways when you gather together, right in the middle there's that little chapter that usually only gets read at weddings. Do you know, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love. You're missing character. You're missing quality. The foundation passages for us of Jesus teaching us about the Holy Spirit are to do with how we grow. Not what we do, but how we grow. In the long run, it's about character, not what gift you have or did not have or use or did not use. We're the children of God, through faith in Jesus' Son, born of His Spirit, being taught and led by His Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is in a way like our governor, like our tutor. There was a period of time in which the law was given to be the tutor, the schoolmaster. Now we have one who leads us, not just like a schoolmaster wrapping our knuckles, but he gives us instructions, he gives us encouragements, he gives us promises, he gives us provocations of how to live today, this next hour, the Holy Spirit. So are these things true of you? Are you born of God by the Holy Spirit? Are you living now by the Holy Spirit? Are you being taught and led by him? How important is the truth? How important is God's word to you? Because it's clearly very important to the Lord Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. If you don't access the scriptures regularly, it's like eating. You're probably lacking in what the Holy Spirit wants to do. In you and through you. Has the Holy Spirit brought Jesus to you? Is he building Jesus in you? And are you actively cooperating with Him in that? Ahead of any sense of serving or ministry or whatever, you are called by God to be His child and to grow up in Jesus. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit, to bring you in and bring you up. Let's pray together. In these moments, Holy Spirit, continue to help us, we pray. The focus is no longer on a preacher, but your presence with us. What even in these moments you may want to do for different ones of us here today. In Jesus' name. If you have no idea of ever having been born again, born of God's spirit to a new life of faith through Jesus why don't you ask God for that right now please me too make me a believer please too help me to know and follow Jesus you think think, well give me some words listen just use your words God isn't really fussed about what words you use. He answers all sorts of really messy prayers. So why don't you just give it your best shot and say, here am I, please. Please, Lord Jesus, me too. I want to be a Christian. Let it begin. Let new life begin for me today. Let that old life go. Let it die. I want what's to from you. Be saying that prayer. Brothers, I want to remind you again, excuse me if I use inclusive language rather than sexually sexual gender distinct language. Right? Because the Bible says you're all sons of God. God didn't choose you to make you his servant. That was secondary. He chose you to make you his child, his son. And The most important thing for you and I is that we know him as our father. We know the Lord Jesus as our leader and our older brother. We know the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us and guides us and we are becoming more like Jesus, as we cooperate with the words of God and the work of God through the Holy Spirit. That's the most important thing in your life. What, bigger than the family? Yeah, bigger than the family, bigger than your marriage. It is the biggest thing to know that you're his child and you are growing up in Christ. One day, he's going to take all his children home. Jesus said, they'll shine like stars, like suns in the kingdom of their father. What glorious creatures we will be then. I hardly imagine. But the work of the Holy Spirit has begun now to prepare us for that. So, Father, we pray that... Rather like some of the old songs we used to sing, we may acknowledge again from our hearts the greatest thing, the most important thing in all my life is knowing you. And being led by you and taught by you and growing in you. Everything else can come and go and change, but that is eternal. For you are my eternal Father. Jesus is my eternal saviour and the eternal spirit is with me and helping me and transforming me. Blessed be the name of our God. Amen.